Hackernoon podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Hackernoon podcast. I'm David Smook, the founder and CEO of Hackernoon. And today we got a fun one for us, looking at different use cases for how the next generation of the internet can fund content. With us today, we have the team behind Gen Zeros, which is an NFT-funded project with live action shots. And we're going to learn where the project's going to go, how they're going to make money, hopefully some stuff I don't anticipate. So <laughs> today we have Paul, actor-producer, and Neil, Neil Stevenson-Moore. And we can get into a bit of um, each of their roles on the project and how they see the, the future of the internet and content production. But maybe it's useful to just start with, why are you guys doing this now? <laughs> Neil, you want to go first? Sure. Sure, I'll take Why are we doing this now? I think that the interesting part is we started this at the height before Netflix lost 80% of its value, before NFTs and crypto lost 80% of their value. But as much as some people might think that that would have been a harbinger, the reason we're doing this now is the landscape for creatives and people that are creating new content has never been better. You, you think about Bob Iger the other day was, was interviewed on Code and former CEO of Disney talking about how there's now infinite shelf space and infinite consumption and the way that people are consuming products is just different. And now that everybody has one of these in their pockets, they watch, whether it's NFL football or movies or whatever, they have this two-screen experience. And what we wanted to do was, was push the boundaries on how fans can engage with content, um, how great content can get made, how the artists from the actors all the way to the set designers can participate in different ways. And we've been blessed to have a, a community that's really, really embraced it. So why now was as much as, as it's, um, a little bit of a, a crypto winter and a, and a winter for a lot of the, the production companies out there. It's going to be coming out to a, a pretty exciting spring and, and having people like Paul and Alex Ponham and Matt and Jeremy and all the actors that jumped on board with us take this journey with us has been has been pretty exciting. And you, have you filmed how much of it? I went to the site and I liked how you watch a scene and then you kind of get a comic book and then you watch a scene and seeing the arc start to come together. But how much is like, filmed as like like a movie versus like a TV show versus filming in like a, a new way? Well, I'll pass to Paul in a minute because he, he can really speak to how the, the cast helped build the world. But what we did was, yeah, so just for the audience, we, we used multimedia to tell, to build this world. We went live action chapter, comic book chapter, live action chapter, comic book chapter to tell a linear story. And the reason we did that was the live action chapters allowed us to build character, go really deep on, on, on the, these leaders and these relationships by focusing for five to, five to eight minutes with these live action episodes. But then the comic books would allow us to build worlds. We could draw incredible scenes and explosions and things that maybe we didn't have the budget for. But the concept behind everything we did was, it was about planting a seed. It was about building this, just taking the first step towards what might be a TV show, what might be a movie thereafter, what what is a much larger world that even the fans have run with. But it really was a, a chance to to almost create like a pre-pilot for the for this new sci-fi universe. And we were so lucky to have people like Paul get involved. I'll tell the story of how we got Paul involved in a minute because I think it speaks to it speaks volumes to to not only Paul as a person but also the, the pride that the actors took with with what we were doing. 
But actually, why don't I do that, Paul, and then and then you can share why you got involved. But sure. Alex Ponovic, who's our my partner and executive producer, when we started this, we were only going to do it started as an NFT project that raised about six and a half million dollars in 30 minutes. But the community really wanted more. They wanted to know the backstory of these NFTs. So we were working with artists from Marvel and, and Electronic Arts, creating this incredibly beautiful NFT artwork. But when we started looking at building the, the, the lore and the mythology behind it, we were only going to do 10 scenes with a single actor showing a faction leader. But as the project grew, we decided to, to shrink it down, but give the audience much more. So when we were met with Matt and Jeremy, the, the, the writers and creators of the show, Alex, Matt, Jeremy, and I sat down and we really tried to rip out all the things that you we hated from other sci-fi shows where aliens had come from halfway across the galaxy only to be defeated by a DOS prompt or a computer virus that they hadn't seen coming. Uh, and it was important to us to try to be as grounded as we can because great sci-fi is great allegory. And Alex goes, look, I don't know if we can get them, but who would be perfect for this, for this role in this world would be, would be Paul. So he gets on his phone, he calls Paul. Paul didn't pick up, must have gone to voicemail. Calls back in 15 minutes. We get him on the Zoom call. All four of us are in the room. We ask him, Paul gets excited. He goes, look, whatever I can do, loved working with you guys before. Let me, let me dig into it, but I'm in. So the next day, phone rings again. It says Paul White. And honestly, my heart sank because I'm like, oh God, I'm sure he's spoken with his agent. His agent's been like, no, you're not doing this this indie that's NFT funded that's taken all these chances. And he was going to call and be like, yeah, I, I can't do it guys. But literally he picks up the phone and starts critiquing. Why did the aliens come and what technology is going to be there? And what was it? And it was so collaborative and, and the influence he brought to make it real from his time working with vets and, and all the work that he did supporting the American military on tours, but bringing the sense of realism and the passion he brought to it was, was infectious. That's cool to hear. And in, in reading up a bit on Paul, he has a bit of a, it seems like a Forrest Gump background or, a, yeah. or this athlete that stumbles into pro wrestling and right. through Hollywood. And I'm, I imagine just being as tall as you are changes what happens when you walk into a lot of rooms about how, how you see the world. It, it does. You're always going to be judged, first of all, by how you look and your size and your presence, whether they judge you by your intelligence or your wit, your humor, or, oh, I don't want to meet you in a dark alley. Like, why not? I might know the way out. I'm yeah. a kind person. But once you get past those hurdles, um, I, I think I find it easier to to get people over the shock value of the size and then see me as as a regular person. But that's something I had to deal with a long time ago. I was 6'2 at 12, so I've had to learn to deal with I'm hoping let to be people get their initial head. reaction and then then we'll get down to the nuts and bolts. But uh, going back to Gen Zero is the thing that got me about one. I love Alex Ponovic. He's one of my dear, dear buddies. I, I've worked with him on a couple of projects. He played my brother in a, in a WWE movie we did called Vendetta. He was a, a terrorist in another TV show I did. So I've got a chance to be around Alex. I just like to do. We get along good. He's Got a really solid background, did some boxing, and he's a fun dude to be around. Tell me about this project. And I was like, uh, yeah, man, they sent me the script. And when I read through the script, I because I'm a fan of sci-fi and, 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 and fantasy. I play a lot of D&D. &D. I just played Dungeons & Dragons just a couple of days ago. So 
what attracted me about this is the potential for the series. And I knew Matt and Jeremy, because I'd also done an episode of Van Helsing with Alex. And so I knew the writers and the story concept they have is so much more solid than some of the other sci-fi things that I've seen, or even some of the books I've read. I've read the B.B. Larson books and Orson Card and, and a lot of those sci-fi books that are tremendous worlds and tremendous settings. But the, one of the things that attracted me about this series was, was the overwhelming dominance of the alien invasion, which is as it should be. If we're dealing with a superior technology, a superior race, whether the world unites together or not, you're, you're bringing a pillow to a gunfight. There's just there's better technologies. And this story is set with the remnants of humanity that's left. There's, there's like 90% of the world is wiped out. And then there's small pockets of humanity that as human beings and as we are, we will scavenge, we will find a way to survive, we will take technology. Because there were some successful battles in this invasion due to do our own military might. But so there, there's technology that we're able to scavenge and re-engineer. And over time, this is like, I think 200 years after the, or 300 years after the first invasion, there's been enough time for us to start to, to understand some of that technology process it, implement it. And where once everyone was united against this incredible front, at the same time, human nature, birds of a feather flock together. So then there's a lot of different factions that had different concepts on, on how the human race should evolve or our relationship to the aliens that invaded. Should we be obedient and be subservient and acquiesce to this higher power and strive to be whatever they need to survive? And then there's others that are strictly against it, engage at all costs. And, and our faction to me has a, 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 a medieval vibe our faction does. We have a fortress. We have a stronghold. Alex and I are, have fought a lot of battles with a lot of the other factions. We've also incurred some alien leftovers because not everybody left when the mothership left. There were some struggles of technology, some struggles of aliens or battles. There's a history on Alex's side of the family of, of his grandfather, I believe, uh, and I don't want to give too much of the story, but his grandfather's very instrumental in recovering some technology. So that, for me, there was so much backstory. They have, Matt and Jeremy have gone overboard. They've got like six and a half years worth of yeah. potential storyboard written. And it's not one of these, oh, here's this half-assed pilot. Here's this half-assed season one. Who knows what happens season two? No, they've got a storyboard. And this is like one of those, like, okay, I want to, like, I want to know the end of this book. Like, this is an incredible storyboard. There's... There's character arcs for all the different characters. There's my character who is kind of a kind of a cross between a really smart savant when it comes to applying a lot of the alien technology into weaponry that you wouldn't notice because he has such eclectic taste. He's a big fan of our era now, 20th and 21st century. So he's going to dress like with Hawaiian shirts and, and board shorts and goofy hats with souvenir pins. And this is all things that over time he scavenged anything he can find. Like we, we have our own man cave that Alex and I have that's all scavenged stuff that is hundreds of years old that nobody else thinks is valuable, but like it's our thing. We dig it. It just happens to be something that we're into. And we like the music from there. We like heavy metal from that era. 
So our characters are relatable to people nowadays because the music they understand, some of the styles they go. But at the same time, we're dealing with futuristic circumstances. So for myself, reading the character, it wasn't the big door guy. It wasn't your typical badass fighter warrior, which is still cool. But there were layers to this bishop character. Now, this bishop character is best friends. The, the, the character is best friends with Alex Ponovitz's character, who, who plays Bishop. My character's name is Thatch. And Thatch has that relationship like a number two. A number two in command, but a guy that's also very implemental in a lot of our technology and a lot of our weaponry. Because Thatch does a really good job because he's so eclectic. His brain doesn't work like other people's because he has no style. His style is a hodgepodge of whatever he thinks is cool. He looks like somebody's, like three or four people's closets threw up on him, his, his stats of style. If it's cool, oh, I'll wear it. But his brain doesn't really work like, like, like other people of that time. Like, and, and, but his relationship with Bishop is his number two is supportive. But also there's a relationship with Mika, who is Bishop's daughter. Now, Bishop's daughter is very much like her father. She's very aggressive. She's very warrior-minded. She's a powerful female character who is also young. Now, Alex is your typical father who's in charge. We've got a badass fortress. We don't need to go look for trouble. Nobody's going to come and mess with us. Let's live well, be well. Because Alex is, is a legendary, feared warrior on what's left of Earth. Like, Everybody knows who Bishop is. The last thing you want to do is basically wake up the dragon or wake up Bishop. So when he sees his daughter, who's naturally following his footsteps, who wants to improve, who wants to be a leader, who wants to grow, he's a little bit hesitant on that because as a father, he's not ready to see his little girl grow up. Now I'm in the middle because I'm kind of like an uncle. I'm kind of like an uncle. So I'm trying to... Obviously, that Mika puts a lot of faith in my character and talks to me. And then I try to backdoor and smooth things over with a guy who's the head boss, who's also my friend, but also like, hey, you know, lighten up on her a little bit. She's right. And then, of course, she knows a lot of things that neither one of us do, because most of the time, him and I are real happy sitting in the den getting hammered, telling war stories, which is what old soldiers do <laughs> until it's time to do something. So reading the complexity of the characters really attracted me because every character that Matt and Jeremy have written, just in the scenes that I was in, the, the arcs are incredible. And then you look at the performances of the other actors that we have involved. They're just so solid. We've got a great collection of really incredible, talented actors that are just, they've really absorbed these characters. They've absorbed the world already. As small as a world we've created, even our set designs, you look at some of our set designs on camera, you can't tell the difference between what we put together and some really big budget things that are out there. Like this is, this is not your cheap early days Doctor Who with duct tape and aluminum foil aliens. I mean, this is every scene, every faction <coughs> has its own unique look, its own, you can vibe how they approach things and how they think things should be. So right away, there is a faction for everyone. And that intrigued me as well as one of the key ingredients was the fan inclusion. Because I come from an industry that is very dominantly fan participation. A lot of the stuff we do is we're basically trying to give the fans what they want. It's not like you, this is a unique opportunity where as we're building this, we have our outline, we have our storyboard, but we also have the ability to get our audience involved as it grows 
kind of like the books back in the day, similar. If I had to talk about where you could choose your own ending. I don't know if you guys remember those books back in the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was a fun journey. Maybe you like this particular character more. You like this, you know, this has that potential with a fan base because there may be a character that is resonating more with the fans. And Matt and Jeremy have character art for these fans where the fans will get an opportunity to have some input. And very rarely does that happen for us in sci-fi fantasy fans. But most of the time, we'll watch the series get invested and then we'll get some ending or something. We go, where the, where the fuck did that come from? Like, yeah, no, like did somebody, like, did they change writers? Like, yeah, so. <laughs> how the startups you know. build is trying to listen to their users. And how yeah. Hollywood has traditionally built is like, a focus group of fans and then go in the lab with a big budget and come out the other side and get whatever you get. So there's right. definitely some cool things that you guys are doing of like building as you go. And so I guess I'm curious with, and, and it, I think part of how serial you're, you're making it, it can allow a dystopian world to thrive, you don't have yes. to push towards the Hollywood ending where one faction wins and humanity is great now. And so there's definitely a lot of freedom in that. And Neil, how are you to the end of this already? Or how does it, <laughs> are you really making it up as you go? No, it's not making, and I'm going to step in on this one a little bit because it's, I, I aggravated the hell out of Matt and Jeremy. It's not so much we have a place where we want to go, but where we have is we have very solid options and we have the ability to let the series grow within its parameters. It's not footloose, like it's not going to be, uh, it's going to stay within the story. It's going to stay within the characters and as the characters grow, but there's so many tools that we're allowed to tease our audience and also please our audience, which I don't think in a lot of shows, you get that ability to have that, that impact or that live action input. And the artwork on it's incredible, just even some of the graphic artwork and the performances. But one of the, the biggest thing, like I said, is the community, which we really stress with Gen Zeros is that community because it is a community. They're going to be able to really be a part of something that is unique and it's going to be maybe it's a future how stuff's going to be done who knows no one knows if something's first starting out like some people might say oh shit that'll never work well a lot of people said that about a lot of things i'm sure they told the wright brothers that too well yeah. what are you going to fly for it's never going to work well i have full faith in this it'll work did you talk to the streamers and the more traditional outlets to try and move from an nft project to a live action or was it just thinking hey I'm live action. Now this great opportunity came to continue to host the content on my site and build assets around it. And is that like how deliberate versus like a path of least resistance did it play out? No, that's a great question. I, well, two things. One, you're gonna have to give me permission to share and I can share, I can show you the image of what Paul's character looks like in the, in the NFTs. But no, I, my, so my background is technology. I've been in tech for almost 20 years. I've, and, and more specifically, consumer engagement technology. I've sold a couple of companies to major fashion, billion dollar fashion retailers, clearly, but it's, it was all in predictive tech. But the biggest thing you learn is that trying to force technology into something is the worst thing you can do, right? We've all had that thing where you're, you're enjoying something and all of a sudden they try to put tech in it. It's, it's, it's the, the analogy I always use is a great, great technology is like a great referee. They're there for the game or the, or the match or whatever it is but they don't get in the way. They just make it better. When they blow the whistle or when they interrupt, it makes total sense that they did. And they just keep the flow and it makes sense. So when we, although we raised the money from the NFTs, the reason that we ended up actually changing paths as we were going and going towards this multimedia, live action comic, live action comic, 
was because Matt and Jeremy and with input from Paul and Alex, the story itself was so strong that the okay. NFTs just provide an extra benefit. So to your, to your question, yes, we've already been speaking with both streamers and movie production companies that are both interested in taking it forward in different ways. The NFTs, if anything, may be a, a, a consumer, it'll enhance the experience, but it won't be required for it. And a, a good analogy is when you think about Comic-Con, right? So we went down, we took this down to Comic-Con, but let, let's back up even one step beyond that. Star Trek. There's lots of people like myself that watch Star Trek and love it. And I grew up on Star Trek, the next generation, watched all the episodes on whatever at night it was, but that's as far as my fandom went. But then you have the people that go a little bit further down and they, they go out and they go find the books and they read the fan fiction and they go a bit deeper. And then you go one level even further and you got the people showing up at Comic-Con wearing the full outfits they made themselves and the, all the makeup and whatever else. And I think what you're seeing in, in today's world with, with, with the invent of, of YouTube and all these things, hell, if you Google Game of Thrones to go on YouTube, you can find people going into every backstory and, and exploring these things and, and, and explaining what characters went and where they go. And I think what we are seeing is exactly what you said a second ago. We wanted to create something where we listen to the fans and we listen and we evolve things as we go. And again, back to me, I'm just such a big nerd that literally I look at all the data. Like we've had tens of thousands of views and we will look at how long do they spend rewatching a certain character, which characters NFTs are trading more than the others. Even within those NFTs, which ones do they like more than the other? Do they like the ones where Paul has battle damage all over his face? Or do they like the ones where he's, we actually gave him a mohawk? And, and so I haven't, I haven't <laughs> called Paul yet, but he might have hair when, when we go back to the next season. But what's really interesting is the reception that the streamers and the film production companies have had is one of extreme interest because the landscape's changing around them. And you think about all these streamers and everyone is looking for crowd engagement. So when we rolled out pieces, oh, so I got disabled on the sharing there. But when we rolled out these pieces that allowed the fans to get involved, when we went to Comic-Con, we did, we, we had four of the cast members, five of the cast members come with us. We actually all stayed in a big brother house together. One thing that actually is underrated about our show is how amazing the cast and crew is and how they get along like a true family. So we all stayed in this one big, big brother house together, but the cast signings that were due to last 60 minutes, almost last three hours a couple of times because we had a lineup of fans that had watched the show, had discovered it, and they were coming in and telling us things like, Alex, I don't think Vika's your daughter. I think it's, I think it's Thatch's daughter. And like, they're going off on like these weird, we're like, what are you talking about? We've only released eight chapters. And it was really, really cool to see. But as Paul said, the thing that I'm enjoying most is Matt and Jeremy created these 10 factions. We've only released five of them and we've hinted at a sixth to the community. But the, we always ask the community, which faction are you? That was the big tagline with, with what we do. And as they came through our exhibit, there's no winner. Some people love being the purity of, of Aurora, which is Paul's clan. Some love uh, uh, being the villains or what is perceived to be a villain right now with children of them. Some love the, the remnants of the U.S. military. And it's fascinating to see what everyone goes with. But the artwork that has been created for the show, I don't know if you guys can see that or not, but the quality of the 
of the, like the detail within the action that our, our team has put in allows the fans to come right in and read like there's little hints on here where you can come in and read about different pieces, but every NFT is different. Every NFT is unique, whether it's the armor that, that, that Paul's wearing, whether his, he's got black eyes and other ones, whether it's different pieces, but what that allows is that depths of fandom I was talking about. People get to go in and collect these things and help shape the experience based on how is it resonating. And then using things like the comic books, we can take small arcs off on a journey and see how they go and then maybe introduce them later. But it's a whole new way of telling stories. And, that, and, and sorry, I rambled for a while there. But to answer your question directly, what we're finding with the streamers and the, the film production companies is they all know this is coming. They all know that the the way people engage with technology is different. People always say that that Gen Gen Z is they have a short attention span, but it's not true. They don't. They're just when they find something they're into, they just go deep, and then they swipe until they find the next thing they go into, and then they go deep. And we're we're finding that luckily people are going deep on our product, so it's it's pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah, that that's that's really great to hear. It must be a good feeling to have super fans at an early stage. And have you guys seen in Hollywood also just or in the film industry, this more dystopian being just generally accepted in this post pandemic recovery? I personally know I've just been going, I've seen sci-fi on Hacker Noon, sci-fi stories are being more well-read than they were before, as we've been known more for software development and web three technologies. And personally, I've been seeing it a lot as well. Like, did that attract you to work on this project? And or do you feel opportunistic of going down the dystopian post-pandemic. It's not a pandemic in your world, but it is the, the idea that the world can end is like, I feel like it's just much more on people's minds than it was five years ago. Well, I think especially for science fiction and fantasy fans, that's something that we're all aware of that it could happen. From solar flares that could wipe the crust off the face of the planet, from stars breaking down, from meteor impacts. There's climate change. If you're a sci-fi yeah, climate change. There's so many things that could just one little hiccup. My God, we ran out of toilet paper and everybody went ape shit. So it's a real, in today's world of uh, getting things now or same day delivery or getting it tomorrow within 24 hours, we become a world of consumers. We consume a lot of things. So in a world where that isn't a thing anymore, where you have to go out and hunt for something. You have to go out and find something. You have to grow food if you want to eat. You have to husbandry animals if you're going to eat meat. There's a lot of things you're going to have to learn that are retro as far as it's what our ancestors did a long time ago, but it's not, most of us don't know how to do that. So that kind of a culture shock, I think, especially sci-fi fantasy fans are completely aware. Like, oh yeah, that could happen. That could happen. So it's not a hard, it's not a hard twist. I think maybe a long time ago when television stuff, there were always very happy stories. And when you go back to, to even like Wizard of Oz, when the first Wizard of Oz came, I just scared the hell out of everybody. Like people were, were literally terrified about Wizard of Oz. And, and as the society has progressed, Wizard of Oz is almost like a, a children's movie. Now you go back and look at, oh, it's a classic. It's a classic. But back then they weren't, even though they were dealing with, with world wars and, and whatnot and coming through all that, you they still didn't expect that type of, of world that scared the hell out of them. So I think as through all the years between Road Warrior and Escape from New York and all these incredible Hunger Games and 
and all the and, and maze runner and all these different things that have come along, people get the fact that it wouldn't take much to push something off the edge and either something more intelligent or more superior wipe us out, or even our own factions doing a huge power grab and cutting everybody else out of it. So those are things that are, I think everybody thinks that it could happen, which is an easy sell. When you're trying to sell something that's not within the realm of possibility, even though that's what you do with fantasy and science fiction, this has a little truth of a core to it. The reasons that they come here, the reasons that they come back in, in, the, in the story that Matt and Jeremy have written, because that was one of the things I picked them apart. Why'd they come here? What do they need? What do they need? What do they need from our planet that they can't get anywhere else? Like, what's so important? What, minerals? They got space rocks. They got gold rocks the size of Texas floating around in space. Like, why take a whole planet? You know what I mean? So, and then the storyline they explained to me, it made sense. It's like, okay, I get that. I understand what's going on. Not to stooge off where we're going with the story, but what Matt and Jeremy have lined up makes a very weird, especially if you go back through the history of our own planet with old technologies and 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 ruins of ancient architecture and buildings and stories of Atlantis and where do all these things come from? It all plays into into a part of how many civilizations existed before they got wiped up. How many times did they get wiped up? Is this the first time that we had enough advanced enough as a species to survive, to remember what happened? and to try to come out on the other side of it a little bit better. So I may be told too much there. But, <laughs> I'm excited about it. So That's there's awesome. a lot there. You'll have to figure it out. And getting back to the staff and the team, are they all compensated also in NFTs? Like how connected or separated is like the, the people making it with the, the primary assets around it? Or is it just, is it a split between like funding the projects and then getting the cash in and then doing normal operations? Or how does that breakdown work? No, that's a great question. As we said, clearly when everything launched, NFTs were in a different place. It was something that there was a lot of momentum with them. But the way that we wrote the contracts, no, everyone still participates depending on how, when the show gets picked up and what it does. It was something that we did purposefully. It's something, it's it's not like everyone's taking 15, 20%. Clearly that wouldn't work, but just the math wouldn't work. But we wanted people to feel like they own the show and, the, and that it was important to them. So yeah, not only the NFT revenue, the comic revenue, and even the first time the show gets picked up there, everything's put in different ways to, to help everyone feel part of the family. And this is a good synergy too with this project. That's one of the things that impressed me too when I came on board was from, from wardrobe to, to hair and makeup, to set design, to transportation, to production. There's so many incredibly qualified people that are have done some pretty big projects and been a part of some pretty big projects that understand what they're doing is groundbreaking. But this is, and my involvement with this is not a, well, I'm going to get rich and buy a house in Hawaii or, or whatever. That's not why I got on board with this. I got on board with this because I truly believe in the story. I believe in the, the preservation of the art and the performances that are being put into the story. And this is something that can really leave a mark for entertainment because of the story and because of the people involved. And I think over time, like anything, when, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he was selling packages out of his garage or whatever he was doing. The books, wasn't it? Re reselling books or something, right? Yeah, all all so, bookstores. Yeah. Yeah, an old bookstore. So in its infancy now, no, everyone on board now is not in board to like, oh, once NFT comes up, we're going to do a big crash cab and boot scoot and boogie. That's not what it is. This is something that everybody invests their time, they invest their creativity, 
and we continue this to grow. If this thing grows, who knows what the, it's at the end of the rainbow. Who knows that Star Wars action figures were going to be as big as they were. Yeah. I don't even think George Lucas gave a shit about action figures in the beginning of it. I heard a story about yeah, that. It was probably sometime. like one extra licensing thing. He's like, sure, I'll sign it. And suddenly this yeah. industry is just added to the empire. Billion dollar tour industry. So, yeah. But that's the one thing that's super attractive about this as an artist, as an actor, is freedom of performance. Connection with your audience, connection with the community, and building something unique that's actually good. It's been a long time since we've had something fantasy-oriented that we could sink their teeth in. My last personal, my last personal favorite sci-fi fantasy was Firefly. Serenity. I love that show. Yeah. It, it, it went its different way, but I, I, I got the concept. There was a lot of, of cool things. That, yes, there was a little dystopian and, and all that other stuff, but it was a cool show that I got invested with the characters and I wanted to see where they went. Okay, this is, this is a different show. This isn't uh, a band of friends that are, or even non-friends that are put together and end up becoming friends, skipping around space. This is us. We can't get off the planet. This is what we have left. And uh, we're trying to pick up the pieces of one hell of a bad ass whipping. And if it comes back, how do we survive? It's not, hey, how do we destroy the alien race? How do we go back to their home world and conquer them. No, it's how do we survive? Yeah. How do we continue as humanity? And what is, what is humanity in this new future? Because all, all borders are changed. All rules are changed. Just not even just with the different opportunities that are presented because of the influx of the alien technology and the reverse of the alien technology. Shit goes in a lot of crazy ways. It's cool. So where, where do you guys stand on the existence of real aliens? <laughs> Oh, listen, I know I'm probably going to get shot. And I grew up in a, you know, in South Carolina, it was a very Christian atmosphere. And I believe in God, but is the more about planets and stars, you got to be out of your friggin' mind if you think we're the only thing out there. Whether it can get to us or we can get to it, whether we've been visited, I don't know. But there's just too many opportunities for something else to be going along. And I imagine if it is, it's probably going to be like nothing that we've imagined. Or we're the blueprint and it'll be just like us, one of the two. So <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with Paul. I think just the sheer math, again, being a huge nerd, the sheer math of it is just math is ridiculous. Of course, there's something else out there. But yeah, I think it's like what, what it's like over a thousand Goldilocks plants or something like that in our galaxy yeah. alone or some ridiculous thing. Yeah, it's crazy. And then and then and then the, the only thing for me though, which actually unfortunately runs contrary to, to our whole premise, is I think it's a little vain to think that 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 we're the focus of their attention. They're coming. They're coming here. Yeah. They're yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, we need a story, Neil. So yes, we are the focus. We are the focus. No, but, but I watched. I watched the first chapter. Point, they're coming for the resources. But to that point, exactly, yeah. they didn't come for us. Yeah, but here to that point, though, Matt and Jeremy also explain that they explain why they're coming around. I don't want to. I can't really tell that, can I, Neil? Yeah, you can give the why they came. The, the why uh, they came for the recesses, but, 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 but the, you, you can give you can give the why they came and then stop. Yeah, I'm trying to just so it makes sense. But yeah, okay, I'll shut up before I end up stooging off Infinity Wars or something. Maybe, um, maybe one question about your career, like as you were coming up in the '90s, do you think this oh kind of NFT Whoa. boom would be would have, your trajectory would have been different? Like, do you feel like you should have like a million big show NFTs like sitting in your crypto wallet and like? owner over that ownership over that character could have been different if like the technology and the infrastructure was more like it is in this case oh if i didn't know what i know now number one i wouldn't have done the big show character to begin with 
I'd have kept my real name because I don't own the intellectual property the big show WWE does. So once I left WWE, all that intellectual property, they own. So they can do whatever that now they can make NFTs. They can do whatever they want. That's it's not, I'm like, I'm like the actor that played Captain America. I'm not really Captain America in their minds. They own the, the intellectual property, just like Marvel studios owns a character or DC owns a character. So yeah, going back in time, I should have used my real name. But when I started, wrestlers didn't use their real name because they always had a gimmick name. I used to stay in the hotels and I used to stay under Richard Kimball, which was the fugitive. That was my old hotel alias was Richard Kimball because awesome. this is not before the internet, but if the fans are always this group of fans that always talk and if somebody found out your real name, then they call your hotel and all that stuff. So it's, it's a different time now and it, it's moving at a faster pace. Look how technology has changed just in the past 50 years from the 1970s to now. I'm 50 years old, so I was born in 72. Technology changed from having a, a little, like a Walkman to, to CD players, to portable DVD players, to now music, to like everything I need, I, I, I can put on my Apple Watch. I caught 8 Mile on TV last night, and he's still walking around with a Walkman. And that was like a 2000-whatever movie. And you have right, yeah. with a Walkman in his hands. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's like, but, but that's, so who knows what technology we're going with. And that's a, the, I think that's the attraction for us that are science fiction fantasy fans is that possibility. Look at Star Trek, Kurt with a communicator. Like that's basically a StarTac telephone. Yeah. But when the StarTac's right now, it's even further. Get smart when you talk into a shoe or the watch or all the spy movies, you could talk and use your watch for a phone. Like, like what today's cool, science uh, fiction is tomorrow's science fact. Do you have any cool science facts coming up in how you're filming it? Is there any visual representations of future technologies that oh, yeah. are particularly excited about? Oh, yeah. About? yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I, ha I have, like, my character has created a very, very cool weapon that also, it's just really badass. I'm, the, the, the basic premise of the weapon is, is with the alien technology that I was able to wormhole think. Um, because obviously the way these aliens get around, they're not taking 20,000 years to travel through space and time. They're traveling through space and time, but they're also able to manipulate and fold space. So I'm able to localize with a gauntlet, so to speak, that has the ability to control gravity. So yeah, I can create basically in a small room, say there's 10 bad guys, I can create the gravity of a small continent in a, 30 foot area just flatten everything so it's kind of my there's a price to pay for it as anything you don't want anything too op there's a price to pay for it which will be explained in the show as it moves on but it's one of those final solution like it's 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 my get out of jail free weapon so but there is a price for it which i like because i i like the fact that something that powerful that wasn't built by us though we may be able to get it to the toaster to work occasionally we're going to burn toast because we don't know how to set it to me that makes kind of sense so there's going to be things, <laughs> that, I, there's yeah, we, be uh, things that, I, that we have made work but it wasn't supposed to work like that and there's a price for it so we uh, also consequences uh, of actions actions have consequences we also removed the a lot of the time we, we use technology to remove a lot of time travel requires so right. that allowed us to use the whole globe and telling stories so there's factions in the middle east there's factions in asia 
and they can have conversations or be in the same room as someone else. And they don't need a 20 hour travel day. It might be an hour thing. So using some things like that help the story, but also you see that tech coming with Hyperloop. You see that tech coming with, with supersonic jets and whatnot. It's so all these things are, as Paul was saying, science fiction becomes science fact pretty quick. Pretty quick. Yeah. So. Cool. And what's, what's next on your minds for how, like, if we're sitting here a year from now, what does the community of Gen Zeros and this fan base look like? It's a great question. I think it's going to depend a lot on our next partner. There's a couple of front runners right now, one of which I can't really go into it, but. Yeah, don't you stooge anything off. Yeah, well, I won't. <laughs> One of them has kind of a grand vision for it, and I think I think it's exciting. So what? So a, a year from now, though, I'll be honest. Hopefully, we are either in we're closing production or we're in we're in post production for whatever comes next. And I think that's going to involve both. As I talked about those layers for the fans, we're never going to ignore this because really, what we've created is a spark, right? We created the spark of a vision. We filmed it over two days. The cast and the crew put an incredible time to get this thing done. The vision and everything else that's shaping around it, we're always going to get pay homage and, and honor those people that have done that. So there'll be a lot of fan stuff coming. We have some incredible comic artists that have got some things that, that are brewing. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot coming. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good at not telling anything. That was a good job. <laughs> yes, the sky's the limit. Well done. Well done. Okay, how about this one? How are the Netflixes and the these production companies going to follow what you're doing about how to market a new live action thing? Like, how are you going to see? How are they going to be imitating what's worked or what you think will work here? So, so let me give you a a quick story of what actually happened. So, this is the the landscape currently. When we went to Comic Con, we met with the organizers. The way we got a booth was there was someone else that wasn't using it this year just because of the pandemic and whatever else. And then when Comic-Con found out that we were there and we were with NFTs, they weren't super happy because a lot of the Comic-Con organizers don't like NFTs. They they equate NFTs with a lot of these bored apes. And, and I don't want me to rip on that community because it's, it's, a, it's a staple of, of what that community did and how it grew. But a lot of these board pandas and board rhinos and board whatever, like they saw it as very derivative and very predatorial on fans. So anyway, Marvel though has leaned right into this and they wanted to have a huge booth called like Marvel NFTs and whatever. And Comic-Con said no. Comic-Con said no to Marvel. <laughs> I didn't know that. So, and there was people walking around Comic-Con with shirts that said, fuck NFTs. And literally, they'd walk by the booth. You guys, rah, rah, rah. we won a lot of them over. I, I will say that once we got them in, and we actually showed them the artwork and how all an NFT is at its core is a way to protect the digital rights and provide ownership to the artist. Like it literally should be the thing that they are most excited about when done properly. Anyway, all these shirts, people crushing it, but there was a lineup for people that wanted to buy digital collectibles. It was just a branding thing. You take the name off it, you don't call it NFTs, you call them digital collectibles. And there was a lineup of people for these artists that, that were producing these pieces. So how are they gonna follow us? We've, I've already had conversations with every major streaming network after this. The company that helped put this together, House of Kiba, they're in talks with some of these groups to, to help them with their strategies. They're all looking at it. it they just won't be called NFTs. 
It's going to yeah, be that's, the, you're going to get the vernacular. I think that people are comfortable with because you're saying that to me, NFTs, non-fungible token. People get leery because they don't understand it. It's a, it's a, it's like back in the day when people had horses and wagons, and then there was an auto vautour. Like, <laughs> like nobody wants an auto vautour unless you're super elite and super smart. But once the language gets more defined, once everything gets put together the right format, so everyone can understand what they're getting into, what they want to collect how they're going to collect it, how they're going to be a part of it. And the main thing that's going to drive this, yes, the collectibles, the digital collectibles and all that will drive it. But also I think the, the story and the performances, I think is going to be a big driving factor too. And this, and we know anything about big business, that there's an opportunity to create more revenue in anything. It's, it's going to be evaluated. It's going to be streamlined and it's going to work for everyone. So we're, we're in unknown territory right now, creating this and doing this. So, but at the core of it, our number one, I'd say prime directive is to protect our community and take care of our community with content. So to steal a line for prime directive from Star Trek, that our prime directive is our community. So I, I know personally, whatever I get involved with, the integrity that I maintain in the community is, is, my, is one of my most important situations. I, I want our fans to, to really get wrapped up in Gen Zeros, feel like they're a part of it and know that they're getting something out of it besides entertainment. Yeah, it's, it's cool. These digital assets really do give them something to connect to. I think some of that mm -hmm. resistance you're talking about Comic-Con isn't just the term NFT. It's also who owns the, who gets a revenue share on all this yep. fandom. And now that you yes, sir. purchases yes, outside sir. of that ecosystem into your own yeah. ecosystem or into shared ecosystems and shared wallets that aren't necessarily controlled by them, it, it, it does... Uh, it's just probably much better for the fan in the long run. But it's just like these corporate terms. It's like you throw out the word NFT. It helps with investors. It helps with enterprise meetings. It hurts with the fans. Yeah. It's just a term that's not welcoming. It, it shows a level of expertise that you don't need to buy a trading card to, yeah. to buy an original design. So it's, it's cool to hear your stories on the ground. I guess. Kind and of this my, is early too. Think yeah. about where things are going with with metaverse and stuff like that and all this digital content and whatnot, and who knows where things are going in the future. So, and like I said, this is pretty groundbreaking, pretty new stuff. But once the community understands that they're actually getting a part of something, I, I think they'll, they'll definitely come around and get even more excited. And ending with, I want to be respectful of your time of a, a very serious question here. If these aliens do come to earth and they and they greet you first, mm -hmm. what would you say? How, how should they treat humanity and what should they know about us? Be careful. Be careful. Like I, I would say uh, to, as far as dealing with humanity, you can't, you can't judge everybody by one, but there's a reason why the most dominant species on the planet is the human race. And we have the ability for abstract thinking and our eyes are located, located in the front of our face to judge our distance to our prey. So human beings are, are very vicious and very conniving and very calculated. So I would, I would think that an alien race of superior technology either comes in shock and awe, or if they try to be nice, be very careful because there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me that might have a different directive. So there you go. How's that for sci-fi dystopian enough? There you go. I love that. I, I don't think I can compete with that answer, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> well, insects, I think, have a small claim for world dominance as well. Even yeah. though well, very yeah, small, course, but they're course. very plentiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and most of the time, a lot of insects are dealing with a hive mind. So you have, there's the problem, the, not the problem, but one of the success stories of why human beings have overcome war, famine, disease, and all the things that we've overcome and 
and where we've gone from rubbing sticks in the dark to light a fire to going to the moon is that ego and that critical thinking mind. So uh, it's a dangerous combo. So we'll see, because there's a bunch of us that would love to, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that would be fascinated by other cultures and, and want to go tour and want to go see that other place and do all that stuff and welcome with open arms. And there were some would see it as an opportunity. And then there are, there'll be some that, that would be terrified to death. Nuke first, ask questions later. So that's the beautiful thing about the world. There's so many different opinions that somehow it all, it all turns into a rock soup. It all still works. <laughs> you'll have you'll, you'll have to let me leave you with with paul with hair here there we go paul. oh yeah that's super nice yeah see i have that i have that same haircut but in reverse the middle's <laughs> gone the top's not there if i could still grow the middle i'd have the middle right now i can just grow a skullet and, you know i'm scared <laughs> if i grow a skullet real long and i go hiking up in the pacific northwest somebody would shoot me for bigfoot so you know right now i'll go. keep the head shaved <laughs> i let my daughter do my last haircut she did good yeah you did good you've got yeah you've yeah. got that whole tom cruise mission impossible thing going oh pretty kind of a rogue yeah. no haircut for four months four or five months started over how old is she five five well, she's brand brand good. Wow. <laughs> yeah working on the dad. last skills early yeah he yeah, yeah, you can, you figure the worst case scenario, you can shave your head and do a coach. Uh -huh. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Paul, Neil Stevenson, Moore, makers of Gen Zero. I commend you guys on involving your community in what you make. I think it's using interesting technology to tell a very dystopian future. And <laughs> I will be uh, reading along, watching the shows, reading the comic books. I want to thank you a lot for your time today on the Hacker Noon podcast. Thank, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. See you, bro. Bye. See you guys. Afternoon podcast.